Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. to be in the house of God, isn't it? It's good to be among God's people. And, uh, you know, I believe we're, we're living very, very close to a, a very, very uh, critical hour in the earth's history. And I want to, I've got a sermon here, If We Pray Part 2, right? That's what I started last week. And uh, I didn't get very far, as you know. Um, and I don't think I'm going to get very far again today. So it's just up there for the look. <laughs> um, but we need to pray firstly. Uh, I'm, I'm busting at the seams with something in my spirit. I just know God wants to speak to us about. So firstly, guys, can you all pray for this sermon right now? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we give you praise and glory. Oh, God. Paul saw these days through a glass dimly, Lord Jesus, and you've placed us here at this time. And we know we're not here for, uh, for no reason at all. We know that everything you do, you have a meaning, you have a reason. And Lord, you chose us to be here at this time in history. Not to be here 500 years ago or 100 years ago, but to be right now in what I believe is the most critical hour. So Lord Jesus, we need your wisdom. We need your guidance and direction. And Lord, we also need to hear from you right now. So open my mouth with your words, Lord. And Lord, touch our hearts by the power of God, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Who knows that there's stuff going on on this planet? Right? Everyone here, everyone's pretty awake. Everyone's pretty awake to what's going on. What's the church to do at this point in history? What's the church to be? If not a life raft to multitudes of souls that could potentially perish due to the sweeping deception that is sweeping over the planet, I believe God's put us here as a church to help Christians find the truth for a start, to get some clear doctrine in their hearts, but also to, to capture Get as many people as we can into the kingdom of heaven before Satan has his way on this planet. We're living in, a, in an hour, and I don't, if, if you don't think we're living in an hour where it's urgent, then I think Satan's got you asleep. I think Satan has, has muted your mind from perceiving truth. Because there's some technology on this planet that we know about that is can potentially destroy the planet, but there's things that we have no idea about that they also have access to. You know, if we know about the Hadron Collider and its potential, right, what else do they have that we know nothing about? 
And what does the Hadron Collider have the potential to do that we know nothing about? What is Satan up to? And I believe he's called the church to be a light in these days. Amen? I believe the church has to, has to combat this, this rising antichrist, not by taking up a sword and going out to battle, but through prayer. If the Hadron Collider can release all this dark matter and all that sort of stuff, why aren't we re- uh, releasing light? Light matter. <laughs> You know, if the church doesn't pray, Satan gets his way. You can write that down if you want. <laughs> I like that one. Satan gets his way if the church doesn't pray. And, you know, should the church be praying for such and such to get a brand new car? You know, should the church be praying for bigger offerings? Should the church be praying for a prosperous, wealthy people? And I'm not talking about prosperous of soul because that's what we should be praying for, but the problem is is they, they got the soul part out and prosperous with wealth, like material wealth. That's not what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a house of prayer to all nations. We are God's Hadron Collider, if you know what I mean. If we get into prayer, and that's why, uh, you know, I believe when, the pr- when we pray for a- an issue in church and the whole church prays, instead of releasing one prayer to heaven, the, you know, we're releasing 20, 30 prayers at least in this church. You know what I mean? There's power in that. There's power in that. And as we continue to do it, as God continues to move us in prayer, that intensity can become enormous and have the power to push back the forces of darkness. That's what the Bible tells us it can do. Pushing back the forces of darkness. Single-handedly, a church can hold back what Satan plans to do in a city through prayer. But you know what? The people of God don't have faith in prayer anymore. We don't believe that to be possible. Evan Roberts believed it possible a 100 years ago. If you have never researched Evan Roberts, write, it, write his name down and do some research. Evan Roberts started to pray. 18 years he prayed, and revival came to Wales. And nearly everyone, they reckon around 97% of Wales got saved. Gloriously saved, completely transformed into new creatures. Because one man started to pray, and as, as he continued in those years of prayer, that time when he wept before God for so long, and then other pastors started to share his burden. He wasn't even a pastor at the time. Then this revival broke out. You know, God, uh, Satan hates revival. Satan hates it when God's people wake up. He hates it when people start getting saved. He hates it when, when Christians believe the Word of God is the Word of God. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't want us to take the, the Bible seriously. He doesn't want us to take Christianity seriously. He doesn't want us to unite together. He wants people not to come to church. He wants the church with no power at all. But I believe God's pulling us together at this hour because it is critical We must come together, and all the more, we must encourage one another as long as it is called today. 
and all the more so we can speed his coming, so we can get Jesus here, get Jesus up on his horse and riding down here. You know, who believes in the second coming? Who believes Jesus is going to come? If you don't believe Jesus is coming, then I want to have a chat with you afterwards. Jesus is coming. And you know what? There's no other hope under heaven except in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I talked in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, which I'm trying to get on to, on, uh, edited and finished, and my computer hasn't been letting me. And I talked about preparation, preparing for the rising Antichrist. And you know, the most important preparation is spiritually. Because you know what? In life and death, you know, your, if your spirit is saved... And, and radically transformed and saved, that is the most important preparation you can prepare for because we can have all the gear, all, everything together, all the provisions and, and we have the location and all that sort of thing and we can get in our cars and we can drive to safety at the time when the, the cities are, you know, uh, going crazy and we go to safety and then a bomb drops on that air and you're dead. You know, it, this way, Jesus says, he calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints during these days because some will be handed over to imprisonment and death. And we don't know who that's going to be. I don't know if I'm called to martyrdom, but I'm prepared to martyr myself if I have to. I will not recant of the faith. And I can say that confidently because I've been considering this for the last 10 to 15 years of my Christian walk. What would happen if someone came up to me, held a gun at my head and said, give up Jesus and I'll let you live? I'll say, pull the trigger. There's no way I'm going to give up Jesus. So your preparation must be, that must be your preparation in the days ahead. Because that's what we're going to be facing. We're going to be facing trying times, worst times ever in history. Adelaide, and this is what I always say, is because we live in this peacetime community, we can lose touch with this reality that there are countries right now suffering tremendous, you know, upheavals and, and their lives are being tested on a daily basis. There's Christians, our fellow brothers and sisters are getting their heads cut off, you know? And we look, we see it on the news and we nearly disassociate ourselves from that. We nearly think it's a Hollywood movie and it's not real. Because it's on TV. Because if Hollywood makes a movie about a subject, it mustn't be a real thing. It mustn't really happen. But it's real, guys. And it's happening, and all the more. And it's been happening. Did you know this statistic, that more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined? More Christians suffered imprisonment and shame and disgrace and were killed, executed, for Jesus Christ, and they did not recant more in the 20th century than all 1900 centuries prior to that time. Now, does that tell us something? Does that tell us that we are living very close to the hour when it went 1900 years, there was a consistent amount of Christians being killed for the faith, and then as soon as it hit the 20th century, it escalated out of control? To the point where Fox's Book of Martyrs estimated it was something like 350,000 a year were, 
you know, pulled in the prisons and tortured and beaten and battered and whatever else and killed. That's huge. That's huge. And I, I would dare say now it's going to be escalating way beyond that. Be a good, good thing to look into. Could do a good video on it. But Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he said, you will know it. These are the signs. These things must take place. And it will come upon the face of the whole earth. No one will escape what is coming. And these days are going to be so terrible. I hate to be a doomsday prophet here, guys. And you know what? There's not enough doomsday prophets in the church anymore. They're all prosperity. Where are the doomsday prophets? We need a few. We need some waking up. Problem with the doomsday prophets 100 years ago, they were a little bit ahead of, ahead of their time. <laughs> but now we need them. But I try to balance it. I try to balance it. I have messages like this, but it's important that you hear this because it is a real thing. It is a real thing. There's going to be times, terrible times, worse than anything previously known to man. Now, if you consider that statement, there will never be times like this, be, uh, have never been times like the times that are coming. Have there been some pretty bad times in the past? Name some really bad times from history. World War I and Two. there's some good ones. What about what happened to the, uh, the Tutsi tribe? Um, Rwandans, yeah. One million uh, were... were a mass genocide, 100 days, 10,000 people a day chopped down by machete. And what the news that fails to add is they were mostly Christian, Christian people. And the uh, UN soldiers said as they were told to get out of there and leave them to their doom, as they were leaving, they could hear the people running, screaming with, you know, with their enemy chasing them. But as they were running, they were singing praises to God. They're singing gospel songs as they're getting chopped up. I hate to be graphic, but it happened. You know, so we're seeing these days, these days are rising, and we need to get awake. We need to know this. We need to prepare our hearts for troubling, troubling times. And you know what? All the more we should come together and encourage one another and lift each other up and keep each other strong in the faith. Because you know what, if you, if you separate, what I mean by this is, is, is if just say you're not a, among your, your brothers and sisters and you're, you're getting put to the test and you haven't been encouraged for a while, you know, you could slip. It's very easy to slip. I'd, I've, I've been there. I slipped really easy. You know, sin is a really slippery slope. Who knows that? It's an extremely slippery slope. So we need to pray. That's the secret at this, this hour. We need to pray. We need to prepare, and, and we've got to be wise. We've got to use wisdom. I thank you for that sermon, Andy. But we, but we need to pray as well, and we need to prepare using wisdom. Come, that comes from God. So let's turn to the Bible anyway. Let's go to Luke 11.9. If we pray, Luke 11.9 says, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. I, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. I believe there's a lack of asking in the church. But asking according to the will of God. You know, not asking according to what many ministers are teach, telling you you should ask for. Asking, ask according to the will of God. And if you ask according to the will of God, you will receive it. But if you don't ask, you won't receive. It's as simple as that. The church needs to ask more. We need to ask for a move of God in this city. We need to ask for souls. We need to plead with God, send us souls that don't know Jesus. Also, as I said last, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, I believe this church is here to get Christians saved. I believe we need to get Christians saved. I believe there's a lot of Christians out there that are so deceived, they're on the brink of hell and they don't even realize it. Tell me, answer this question. Should a Christian drink until they're rolling drunk every weekend? Does it make sense? No. Should a Christian smoke pot? It's a, a funny question. Daniel's laughing at the question. But you know what? It's, I know people, Christians, that drink until they get drunk every single weekend. Should a Christian sleep around like as a, a guy with as many girls as he can get his hands on? Should a Christian do that? Why do I ask this question? Do you know many people in church think that that's permitted because they're under grace? They've got no idea what grace is. Grace isn't a license. Paul made that so clear. It's not a license to sin. Grace is what you're given so that you resist that. You're given the grace to resist the sin nature, to resist it by the power of God, because in your own flesh you can't. You need the Spirit. So it's not like you're free to do it and you're covered. That's not what it means. There's a misinterpretation of grace. Grace is simply the gift to be able to resist that. Should a Chris, Christian take hardcore drugs? No. It's strange. You know what? You, uh, like I've always said, you ask an atheist, they'll tell you what a Christian should do, and they know what a Christian should be like better than most Christians these days. I'm talking about Western Christians under emergent teachings, under all these new wave teachings that were never in the church. Do you know holiness? If you preach holiness today, they call you a legalist. You know, years ago, everyone preached holiness. And that's why the Christians were impeccable many, many years ago. And they still thought that they were sinful and not fit for the kingdom of God, right? But you compare them to today, some of those Christians who walk in here would be thinking like we've, we're meeting the holiest people that you've, you've ever met in your life. And they would be feeling pretty wretched in their own... Today, Christians think they're holy, but they're filled with dirty, rotten sin. Christians are meant to be holy people, a royal, a royal priesthood. Let's turn to Ephesians. All right, Ephesians 1 verse 4, and it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. In his sight. 
many are called, few are chosen. He chose us to be holy and blameless in the sight of God. doesn't say he chose us to be sinful and shameful in the eyes of God. He chose us to be holy and blameless. That's what the many are called and few are chosen. Many are called to be Christian. Actually, the whole earth is. But only few will choose to fulfill that scripture and be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, I'm not teaching that that will get you into heaven. That's, if I was teaching that your own holiness will get you into heaven, then you could call me a legalist. The blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone gets you into heaven. It's what he did. Because, but by his grace that he has given us, he said, produce fruit. Or John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So if you keep with your repentance, guess what? You will be holy and blameless in his sight because you're keeping with it. You're not continuing in your old nature. You're not continuing to live in sin. Because sin is so bad that Jesus got nailed on the cross because of it. That's how much Jesus hates the sin nature. He died. He died the most terrible death. Now, how dare we live for Christ and say, I'll live for you, but I still want to do all that stuff. Jesus says, I died. I died for that. Don't partake in it any longer. Live holy and righteously. Do you know what? I'll add, walking in holiness and righteousness is preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He wants a spotless bride. He's coming to collect his spotless bride. He's not coming to collect his sin-ridden bride. He's not coming to collect a lukewarm church. Who knows what's going to happen to the lukewarm church? Put up your hand if you know. What's going to happen? When you're sick and you spew, what are you, is, it, is it the most horrible experience? Does it wrench your insides? Don't you feel like, oh, no, 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 please, no, no, no not spew. And then, you know that thing? It's coming. Oh, I know what's coming. I hate this. It must be something really bad because you don't want to spew. Who likes spewing? Vina. Vina used to spew a lot when she was pregnant. And sorry, now you all know. <laughs> anyway, I used to feel so sorry for her. But Jesus doesn't like spewing. He does not like to spew. So don't make him spew you out. Live a holy and righteous life. It's simple as that. Who else gets into the kingdom of heaven? Who gets into the kingdom of heaven? It's funny, Ben come up and talked to me about the will of God just today and the, the scripture. Who knows the scripture I'm talking about? Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21. Let's go there just quickly as well. And I go here frequently, and you know why? It's the most important scripture in the New Testament, one of. One of the most important scriptures because it gives us insight into the judgment of God and we've got to keep reflecting on it, saints. Who heard my sermon uh, called Judgment Day, the one I just did recently? And I was really emphasizing keeping your eyes on the judgment. Keep your eyes on judgment. Every day say, Lord, help me to stay focused on the judgment. The coming judgment is what it's all about. 
everything else that you do in your life pales compared to the coming judgment and being ready for that time and prepared for that time. You know, my sermon was called Preparing for the Rising Antichrist. You know what? It should have been preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ because we have to get ready for him. We have to be ready so that we can rejoice when we see him, not hide under the rocks because of shame and disgust. Go into a cave and say, rocks, hide me from the face of God because I am so sinful. We want to know that when Jesus comes back, he's going to look at us and have a smile. If Jesus looks at you and goes, oh, man, my gut, <laughs> I can't hold this one back, you panic, panic. You don't want him to spew you out. What, who did Jesus say to fear? But what, what was his words? Fear God, who after the killing of the body can throw your soul and body into hell. That's who you should fear. Do you know there's a huge movement among Christians that don't fear God? They don't think you need to fear God. And Jesus says, I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear God. Because he could throw you in the hell. So how could there be a movement of people that don't fear God? Who had a dad who had a really good smack? Yeah? I had a dad with a pretty good smack. Do you know I feared my dad, but I loved him because he was, he was just. He didn't smack me because he just felt like, oh, I really want to f- let out some energy. Come here, son. He didn't smack me for no reason. He wasn't a mean, wicked father. But when I was a wicked son, he used to chase after me. And you know what? I reckon he used to feel inside the same thing I used to feel. Oh, why did he do that? I don't really want to smack right now, but I have to because he's just done a naughty thing. So he's, he'd grab me and give me a smack. He wouldn't beat the life out of me, but he'd wake me up. So I feared my dad, but I loved my dad. And you know, you can fear God for the right reasons, but you can love God with all your heart and do right so that you don't double-cross him. You don't put him to the position where he has to discipline you harshly. So that's why it's, it's good to live a holy and righteous life. Who's getting this today? Let's go, Matthew 7.21. The reason I, I, I believe God keeps bringing me back here is because I think it's not preached on much. So I'm, I'm constantly coming back here. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's a critical scripture. That gives us insight into the doctrine of salvation, and it gives us a dimension of it that many teachers today don't talk about. It's not put up your hand, yep, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, yep, you're saved. That's not it. We're called to disciple them. We're called to bring them alongside and teach them the fullness of that doctrine. Teach them how to live a holy and righteous life now that you're saved and you're calling yourself a new creature in Christ. If you go back to your old life but keep coming to church on Sunday, you're not saved. Don't let anyone deceive you. You're not saved unless there's been a change. Figs will not come out of thorns. You must have a change of life. You must be transformed 
into a new creature, living a holy and righteous life, walking after God. That's when you know you're saved. Because the fruit is evident in your life. No fruit? Question your salvation. Has God, or have I allowed God to do a work in me? Have I set my affections on godly things, on righteous things, or have I set my affections on unrighteous things and sinful things? Have I stooped down into Satan's territory rather than reached for God's? Where do you set your affections? Let them be godly and righteous. Let God be the uppermost and most important thing in your life. Put God first in everything. And then every other part of your life will fall into place and you will live a beautiful life in him. And even in the face of the most terrible situations, you can still be filled with the joy of the Holy Ghost. It says in the book of Acts that the disciples during the, after the stoning of Stephen, there was a great persecution. They were spread out into the country. They lost their homes. They were running for their lives. They, they were getting chased by, you know, all sorts of people who were after them, the Jews and the Romans and everyone was after them. But they didn't lose their joy. They, they went and everywhere they went, they spread the gospel and the gospel spread due to persecution. Let our faith be like that. Let our faith be beyond circumstance. Too many of us look at the circumstances and go, oh, things are bad, so I mustn't be in God's will or something. You know? But it's there to help us and it's to grow us and to discipline us and to turn us into the creatures we're meant to be. Because I believe when God created Adam and Eve and all, those, all, his, all Adam and Eve's descendants came upon the earth, I believe creation wasn't finished in the sense of, because it was finished in the sense that God sat down, okay? He, he finished his work of creating, but the creation itself had to go through things to become the creation that we're going to see when, when they receive the imperishable body. We must work out our salvation and be transformed into the new creatures that we, we are told that we should become. Who gets what I'm talking about? So think of us as not a, we're not a complete creation yet. We're complete once we have our imperishable body because the imperishable body will never die. Will this body die? Yeah. Would a complete creation be filled with sin? No. We have sin in our life. So we still have to work at our salvation. That's why it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why would it say that if you can't lose your salvation? Why would Paul talk to the Ephesian church and say things like, you know, brothers, I, I've told you as I've told you before, if you continue to do these things, and he listed off all these sins that the church was obviously getting involved in, and he says, brothers, if you continue to do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He was not saying that to non-Christians. He wrote the letter to a church to rebuke them, to wake them up, and to give them insight into the doctrine of salvation that they obviously had overlooked. That it was about working your salvation out. It's about working hard to be a Christian. 
Faith without works is dead. So works aren't, the works are, are not what gets you saved, but the works are evidence that you are saved. Do I, do I who, who's been in this church for a while? Put your hand up. Do I go over this ground a fair bit? Why, why do you, uh, this is what I, I believe God puts it on my heart so often because this doctrine is the weakest in the church today, in the Western church, and that's why I believe we've got to get Christians saved. Because there's, and they've even got a new name for Christians today. They call them um, carnal Christians. Christians that can't overcome the sin nature are called carnal Christians. They're still Christians, but they're carnal. It's like pagan Christians, an oxymoron. They don't go together. It's like oil mixed with water. It does not mix. You're either pagan or you're Christian. You can't be both. Amen? So Luke eleven nine, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. We've got to seek. We've got to become seekers of the truth. We've got to knock on God's door. We've got to knock and knock and say, God, open up. Do something. All right, another question. I'm, I'm not getting onto this sermon. It's just not there. Put up your hand if you have the power to walk out into the street and in one hour bring someone back saved. Hey? You can, Matthew. All right. Do you reckon if Charles Finney was standing here and if you gave him that challenge that he could do it? But I'm not talking about his own power. Yeah. No one, not one person can get someone saved by their own power. But I'm talking about a man that is no longer like the world. I'm talking about a man that is so filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God is flowing out of him so powerfully that he is a new creature. He's God rep, God's representative. He's an ambassador. Who would like to be able to walk out into the street, get someone safe and walk back? Yeah? I'd, li- I'd really like to see a show of hands. Who really has a heart for the lost? Who has a concern for their family members? Yeah, me. Who's worried that they're going to see so many people in hell in your family? Yeah? I believe lots of our family, if, they don't, if, if we don't change, we could lose them. And I, I've had this real concern that I'm going to get before God And he's going to show me all these souls in hell. And he's going to say, Rob, did you know if you had followed me correctly, you could have prevented that? So I'm saying it about me, so I'm not giving you a guilt trip. It's about me. (laughs) All right? Who believes that they're going to be able to view people in hell, in heaven? Who believes that? Yeah? If you don't, let me show you a scripture. Go to Isaiah. Go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. Interesting number, 66. You into numbers? And I've, I've brought this up many times before. I'm sort of like doing a sermon jam at the moment. I say 66 and it says this in verse 22. 
as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me. This is interesting. That's eternity. As the new heavens and the new earth, that's after the, this current earth has been burned up. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And as it endures, so the, the, the temple of God, that huge temple, 2,000 miles cubed, 2,000 miles in a cube, it's got levels that God's, king, God's city has got levels. You will never, ever see the... You'll spend an eternity walking through God's, God's city and eternity will go past and you'll never have seen it all and you'll go back to the bottom and hang on, it doesn't look like it was before because God's changed it because he's just an amazingly, creatively awesome God. So as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. Wow, what a promise. Your name. Who wants your name to endure for eternity? So your name and your descendants. Who wants your descendants to endure for eternity? Who wants your kids to be in heaven with you, yeah? From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me. All mankind, says the Lord. And they will go out. This is the terrible, terrible scripture. That was beautiful so far. That was beautiful. This is this little bit. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will the fire be quenched, or their fire will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. How is that that those scriptures are back to back? Those verses are back to back. We hear this wonderful promise to our descendants and then the next breath, God tells us of a place so terrible and loathsome where multitudes, we know, because broad is the road that leads to destruction and many upon it, few walk the narrow road, the will of God, and live for Christ. Few find that road and walk it. And that broad road is where the multitudes go and down in hell where they're burning, the Bible tells us, and their fire will never be quenched, are those that rejected Jesus Christ. And when you, you'll be able to go there in heaven, and it's, it's, you, you have to go there. It's part of being in heaven. It says from one new, new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, and they, that's everyone that's saved, will go out and look upon them. And my only explanation for that is because God wants to keep his people holy for eternity. He doesn't want to have a, a Satan issue again with rebellion. He doesn't want his people to rebel forever. And so what does he do? Well, regularly, guys, you're going over there and looking in that pit. You're looking into the pit where those that had rebelled are, and you look upon them, and I want you to stay there and look until it burns in you to never, ever rebel against me again. Because sin, you're looking down, and that is sin what you see down there. That is how loathsome sin is, because those people didn't want to give it up. Those people didn't want to follow me. And now they're wallowing in it. Now they're wallowing in it. So don't you ever rebel. 
and you'll walk away and you God, I bow down to you. You're worthy. You are worthy because you're righteous, holy, good and just and they are justly down there. And no one will be able to call God unfair. No one, not even those down in the pit will say, God, you're not just in this. They'll say, God, you are just. I'm here because I deserve to be here. Because their minds will have been open to understand that the judgment, when they received the judgment, when they were caught, when God looked at them and said, get those angels, gather them up and throw them into the burning sulfur pit. When God called that judgment on them, they'll say, you are right and just in all your judgments. But we know from Matthew seven twenty one, it says that there'll be those that say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, my Lord, don't send me there. Don't send me there. I, I served you on earth. I prophesied in your name. I performed miracles in your name. Jesus will just say, with a tear in his eye, I reckon he will be, his face will be drenched. It's not going to be a, a nice thing. And we will be watching, and if we're on the side of the righteous, we'll be watching and we'll be weeping. Because you'll see your family and your love for them will be still there. It's not like you lose your love and say, get rid of them, God, I hate them now. No. That's why he's going to have to wipe away our tears. Now, if you don't believe what I'm saying about hell, then you've got to go home and read your Bible. I'm not going to be a pastor or a minister in this day that does not preach on hell. Because you know what? If I don't preach it, then I'm going to be judged. A pastor, a minister who does not preach the full counsel of God will be judged for not doing it. And I'll be judged much harsher than you guys. Who knows that scripture's true? Right? So when I read the Bible, I, I read it slowly. I look at the words and I let them, you know, burn into my soul. Conviction for what it is, for the truth of what it says. I let it transform me. Even though I'm not perfect, my family, am I perfect? Come on, tell the truth. Come on. No. John, am I perfect? No. They know me. They, they see me at the worst of times and the best of times. And... But when I preach, I'm going to preach the truth. And I preach it for my benefit as well. I have to hear this because I didn't know I was going to preach this. I have, uh, this is completely off the cuff. I did not know I was going to preach this today. I had no preparation for it. And I had to hear it myself. And the reason is, is God's telling me, you get ready. You get ready because I'm getting ready. The times are coming and they're coming rapidly and you're not ready. Get ready spiritually first. And when you get ready spiritually, you'll get ready mentally. You'll get mentally tough. And then after that, you and at the same time, get ready physically. I know the scripture says physical training is of some value. Some say little value, but I like the some value better because it is of some value. 
But that you, th- th- these people were saying that at a time when they used to walk 20 kilometres a day as an average thing. Now we go on a half an hour walk, we think that's exercise. <laughs> they were walking and they didn't call it exercise and then they exercised on top. And the, <laughs> You know what I mean? So get walking, get in training, get strong, get fit for that day, you know. And look after the temple. And get ready provisionally. Make sure, as I've said before, that you've got at least six months of food in the cupboards at any one time. Do the Italian, the Greek thing. Have your storage cupboards full. Cycle your food, put the oldest ones to the front and all that sort of thing. Just make sure you've got uh, plenty of food in storage. And also get ready locationally because I tell you now, if, if, if... Petrol uh, is no longer available. It won't be long before uh, total anarchy breaks out in our cities. And I'll tell you how, if, if, the, if trains aren't coming in the cities bringing food supplies, if the trucks stop running, if the cars stop moving, we're all in lockdown, basically. You'll go to the supermarket, there'll be no food on the shelves. Who knows this has already happened in many countries at one time or another, right? Then it would be roughly a week from that time people would be breaking into your house to steal your food. Because sti- they don't care for the cash. They'll be stealing the food. They won't even be looking for your gold supply because they can't eat it. Because when you're hungry, you don't think of gold, do you? You think of food. So it'll be one week before total anarchy and people will be killing you for a loaf of bread. So just have your food in supplies but also be ready and prepared that if that time takes place, that's my warning sign. That's when I know, okay, got to go. All right? You need a cue, you know what I mean? But I also believe, pray that God makes you aware of those times and when they happen so that he will wake you up in the middle of the night like Dave and Helen pray and two large angels or one large angel is standing above your bed saying, get up and go to this spot and do it by, like, within this amount of time. I'm praying for that because I believe there's been more spoken about these days in the Bible prophetically than any other event in the history of the earth and the history of the Bible. More has been spoken about the last times, the days ahead. Out of all the prophecies of the Bible, more has been spoken. That means that God's going to do something even greater than he did in Egypt in the time of Moses. Did he protect the Israelites in Egypt, yeah, he protected them, didn't he? Now, if you believe you're going to be raptured before this time, right, I'd like to sit down and have a good chat with you. I've never found a scripture that says it. I've never heard someone who believes in a pre-tribulation rapture ever tell me that there is a scripture that speaks of it. So I'd like to, uh, firstly, I'll, I'll be very open because I love talking about that subject. It's a really good subject. But I want you to show me firstly one scripture that gives that clear direction that there is a rapture and it says before the tribulation, before these terrible days I will remove you from the face of the earth or I'll take the church. Now, Joe Schimmel, also think of it this way, Joe Schimmel's got a $10,000 reward for anyone who can find that scripture. So you could, could get some good money if you can find it in the Bible. So I've been looking through the Bible for many, many years, 20 plus years I've never found that scripture. I actually used to blindly believe it because everyone preached it. And the radios are all preaching it, all Christian radio. But then I had to do an honest reading. 
And I'm going, okay, where is it? Where does it say it? Scripture. I'm going to Mark 13. I'll just read it for you. because I, And then I leave it as food for thought for anyone who thinks that. And it's not a point of division in a church. I just want to make that clear. It's a point of Berean research. And you know what I mean by Berean research? You know, study the uh, scriptures diligently, daily, to see if what Rob's saying is in fact real, true. Well, it's Paul actually, but just replace Paul's name with mine. But in those days, okay, this is verse 34, no, 24, of Mark 13, verse 24, and it says, but in those days, following that distress, and let's go back and look at that distress, because these days, in these days, there'll be distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. So stress unequaled from the beginning of the world and never to be equaled again. And it says a few verses down, but in those days following that distress, now I want to make clear, does your Bible say following does it say after? After? Does anyone say before? Now, this is an important point. 90% of evangelical Christianity in the West believe it says before here. It says, it says following, doesn't it? And after, following that distress, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heaven, heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time... At when? That time when? Following the distress. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. So the second coming. That's the second coming. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to send his angels... And gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. He's going to send his angels to gather his elect. So who performs the rapture? His angels. It's not a sudden disappearance. It's angelic. You'll, you'll be, you know, in, in, the, in the field or whatever, and this angel will come down and you're coming with me. Oh, where, where? Well, I would know where. I'd say, it's, oh, it's the rapture. Awesome. I made it. Right? So at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds uh, with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. There it is. After these most terrible days. Now, that's also in Matthew. There's also scriptures, and I'll, I'll quickly go there as well, just to sort of so you can see the scriptures and then you can chew on them, do what you want with them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll let you all get there if you're looking there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And there's a lot more than this too. Joe Schimmel preaches extensively on it. I think his church must get sick of hearing about the 
the whole rapture thing. He always talks about it. So if you really want to hear it, he's, he's got a, a video that is, should be out soon. I've talked to Tony Palaccio and he said it's going to come out soon. Yeah, now, he's got a video that's coming out. Um, can you remember what it was called? Oh, it's called um, Left, not Left Behind. Or Left Behind or Led Astray. And it should be out soon. And he completely uncovers the whole rapture uh, teaching. And it's, we're gonna, we've already paid for an advance, we paid an advance order for the video. Um, it's supposed to come out at the end of last year. So, yeah, we really do, he really has to pull his socks up and get that out. So hopefully Joe's seen this. Anyway, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. So what's that he talking about? He's talking to Hapazzo right there. As our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. So it hasn't come, the day of the Lord. Don't let, and I want you to hear these words, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. Others say the apostasy. That is, a, that is when Christians turn away from the faith in large numbers. Right? There's going to be a time. We've already seen it during the 20th century. Many Christians have turned away. But we're going to see a time when the church as it is, stands today will be persecuted and there will be a large falling away. Why do you think that would be? Anything to do with preparation, do you think? Do you think that they haven't been prepared for the time? They haven't been told that to be prepared to lay down your life for Christ? They may have not had that teaching. So don't let anyone deceive you in any way. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness or the man of perdition or what some other verses say in your Bibles, the man of... I didn't hear you, sorry. Oh, just lawlessness. Okay, so you must have a similar. Uh, is revealed the man doomed to destruction. So who's that? Who's the man of lawlessness? The Antichrist. So it will not happen until he's been revealed. Now, pre-tribbers teach that you're gone before the Antichrist is revealed. Is that right? But it says, don't let anyone deceive you. It won't happen until after the man of lawlessness has been revealed. And then you go to Mark 13, until after the terrible days are completed. And there's more scriptures, but I won't go there right now. And I've done sermons online about it. Just look up um, the truth about the rapture. And uh, yeah, there's a couple of others as well. Okay, so that's interesting, isn't it? Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for this time, Lord. And um, Lord, I pray that this message has moved many hearts today. I pray that, Lord, um, that you have touched us and 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 gripped us with a newfound faith to uh, to pursue you with all our heart, to be radically transformed in our attitude towards you and towards sin, and towards. Uh, the Bible and the Christian faith in total, Lord. Lord, we need you to do a, a, an incredible work in and through us all here because none of us are uh, in ourselves capable of serving you. 
But Lord, if you would move us by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like I mentioned with Charles Finney, with in his first year of ministry after he was baptized, a hundred thousand people became Christian. And Lord, we want to have that kind of baptism. We want to have that kind of power to affect our communities and see people saved. We want to have the power as a church to pray so that we can push back the forces of darkness, the things that are coming upon this earth. And so, Lord, I pray for a real change to take place in all of us, in all our hearts, and help us, Lord Jesus, to become the people that you created us to be, holy and blameless in your sight. So, Lord, do a wonderful work in and among us as a people. And, Lord, bless this time now of fellowship as we come together and we uh, discuss uh, all the different things that were talked about in the sermon and, and the messages beforehand. Uh, just be here with us and may our fellowship be amazing as we uh, unite together as a, as, a, as a church. So we pray this in your wonderful name and just be with us now and bless the, our weeks, keep us protected and safe through it and help us to uh, just to pursue you more and devote to you more than we ever have before. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out. 